Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes and welcome to Videocast 46 and Podcast 36 for the week ending September 4th, 2020. What a busy and exciting week we had. Uh, we'll start off with some of the media spots and content and then we'll move right down to the subject matter. First of all, I'd like to thank Ellie Terrett, Cheryl Cassoni, and Liz Clayman for having me on the Clayman Countdown today to discuss what was happening in the markets, which were up before the open, then down 650 points on the Dow or something to that effect, then positive, and then they closed a little bit negative. Um, the key thing that I said that they laughed at was, uh, welcome to the rotation, uh, welcome to the reopening trade. Uh, and basically what's happening is a very healthy and positive thing moving forward. Uh, this is the beginning of the reopening trade. Effectively, what that means is that when people were anticipating slow growth, the country was not going to reopen or you'd have many shutdowns. Uh, money would go into tech because managers had to chase those few small pockets that, um, that would perform well in a slow economic growth environment. And what you're seeing in the last few days with all the good news on vaccines, reopenings, economic data, etc., is that money is now starting to broaden out and it's coming a little bit out of the high flyers that were bid up due to lack of choices to now that growth is coming back in the economy, uh, it's moving into cyclicals and value. And one of the things I pointed out to Cheryl is the story that no one's covering this week in the last four days, every single day, the bank index was up, which is, uh, you know, when pigs fly and we covered in our, our previous articles, uh, previous week's video cast. So uh, was glad to be on with Cheryl today. Thank you so much to Ellie for having me on. The other thing that I pointed out was that the yield curve was actually steepening. Uh, which is a good situation for banks. Usually you'd think when you had this kind of turmoil, the uh, money would go into defensive, into treasuries. It's not been the case. It's just moving out of tech and into cyclicals. Banks were the best performing sector today. Great to see. Thanks for having me on. Next, uh, tonight actually, this is why we're running a little late. Uh, Larry Menti, who's a, a legend, he was... Uh, um, the host, uh, first male host of Access Hollywood. He's done so many things throughout his career. He's got so many Emmys, you can't even fit it in one house. Uh, he called me up and uh, uh, sent me an email late in the day. He said he's filling in for Buck Sexton on the 710 WRR radio. Would I come and talk to him about the stock market? I've done a couple of TV spots with him. He's got his own TV show. Um, during the crisis, like in March and April when everyone was under their bunkers. And that was just so much fun. If you have time to listen into it, do so. Because he asked some good question. Uh, you know, how could the jobs report be so good? And the market was, you know, down so much today. And I kind of laid out the scenario for him that this is actually a really good thing because money is, is shifting now. You'll have some volatility in tech, et cetera, but definitely check that out. We'll cover some of the key points in today's um, video cast podcast as well. So thank you to Larry Menti. Uh, it was a lot of fun. That one was a lot of fun, so definitely check it out. Then earlier this week, I was on CNBC Indonesia, um, and this was a great interview. We're going to go into it in good detail in the article of the week. Juanita 
Aline Wirat, Wirat Maja. Uh, I just called her Aline um, Juanita Wirat Maja. Thank you so much for having me on. She was the host you see right here. She's phenomenal. And also Yolaiwan Haryana. Uh, he was the producer. And usually it's Maria Katerina who, who uh, interviews me on this show. So uh, I love being on with both of them. And this was really an in-depth interview, which we're going to get into a lot of the detail uh, about all the, the entire world, from gold to emerging markets to inflation to uh, Shinto Abe to China. Uh, and it lasted 30 minutes. It was the full half hour of closing bell for C CNBC Indonesia. So again, thank you to Aline and Yolaiwan for having me on earlier this week. Also want to thank Brad Smith uh, for having me on his show. Um, he usually hosts with Nora. I got to speak directly to Brad. Uh, Ali Thompson, want to thank you for inviting me on. Jeff Cohen and Francisca Conte for uh, also having me on. And we're going to go into some of the details of uh, what we covered on Brad's show on Cheddar. Then um, uh, Devik Jane and Medicine, thanks for including me in your article also on Monday. And this is when, you know, we were getting kind of that blow off with high value tech. And he was like, what's what's going on? And I said, basically, what's going on is there are limited options where you can buy growth because the country is slowly reopening and tech does the best in a slow growth economy. So we've been talking for the last few weeks that this is going to shift on a dime and it's going to be, we've used the word abrupt. Market Watch picked it up. And, and what we saw was the beginning of abrupt. Uh, uh, Apple corrected. Uh, I covered in, in four of these interviews on Monday and Tuesday how overvalued Apple was, particularly in Brad Smith's interview and also one other I'm going to point out here. And sure enough, the next two days, Apple uh, from peak to trough actually was down as much as t almost 20% in three days after those four interviews. Sometimes better to be lucky than good, but we've been talking about this for uh, a week or two. Um, so thank you to Devik, Jane, and Meta Singh for putting me in your article. Then I was on Greta Wall's show, Wall to Wall, on uh, One American News Network. want to thank Greta Wall and Lindsay Oakley for having me on. And in this show... Uh, we covered uh, a lot about Apple in that show, and we're going to get into it in this uh, week. We also covered it in depth in last week's video cast, and we also covered stock splits and, and the implications of the Dow changes, etc. So thank you to Greta and Lindsay. Uh, then we were also on CGTN Global Business with Rochelle Akufo. We will... Um, discuss a little bit of the point that this was predominantly concentrated on the China recovery. The reason I spend so much time on the China recovery is because they're about two months behind us. If you remember from our previous video cast, their cases peaked in uh, February, mid-February. Our cases peaked in the epicenter in mid-April. So it's always very, very important to be on top of what's happening with the China data and I also covered that on the uh, radio interview with Larry Menti tonight. So you definitely want to check those out when you have some time. And then um, that is, is it for, for that. So thank you to Zaina Al-Shaib and Rochelle Akufo over at CGTN Business for having me on that show. Now, um, want to actually shift gears to 
the Ask Me Anything for this week. I got a lovely email message from a gentleman named Jared. I'll just call it Jared G. He's, uh, he says, I'm a rising junior at what this is. Uh, we're going to use this for Ask Me Anything this week. Uh, each week we cover one or two questions that came in during the week. And if you're in the newsletter, you know you can submit questions each week. So he says, I'm a rising junior at Wash U in St. Louis studying finance and economics and strategy. I'm currently going through the investment banking recruiting process with the goal of making it to a hedge fund afterwards. I look forward to hearing your podcast each week as what I have learned from you comes up in daily conversations, interviews, and obviously my own personal investing. Much of the reason I want to go into the hedge fund industry has come from my interest in your investing style and balance of fundamental analysis with detailed market timing. While this is not a question of the week, I, I really do appreciate any time you may give this note. I want to know as a college student how I can best position myself to be successful in the industry. In addition to listening to your podcast, I read some of the premier investing books, your newsletter, and the news each morning. I try to apply the principles I've learned from you throughout the week and compare them to what I hear on Fridays. As I reach out to those in the industry, it has become clear that I want to work in a more fundamental active fund than in a quant fund due to the art that comes along with intermediate long-term investing. I appreciate any guidance you may offer. Thanks so much. So great question, great email from Jared. For any of the younger people listening in, this is the way that you approach someone. Uh, you know, my hat's off and uh, this guy's gonna be successful no matter what he does. Now let, let me answer his question. I, I was back and forth with him this week, but I wanna answer it for everyone and hopefully it can make a difference here. Um, there were a few things that I suggested to Jared. The first and foremost is you should read uh, the book that Warren Buffett recommends as his favorite book called The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. This is probably the most important book in my view in the investing businesses business. Um, there are actually two schools of investors. There are growth investors that will read the William O'Neill book, um, How to Invest in Stocks, and they have one particular style. That's more individual traders because when you're managing large amounts of money, you can't you know, be buying breakouts and that type of thing, um, and then you know, stopping out when there's a failed breakout. So you know, larger institutional money tends to buy value. You know, there are different variations of value, but uh, so that they can build a position over time and then start to sell when it's fully valued. But definitely I would read The Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham at least, you know, a hundred times, but start with once. Um, you should also get a copy of Seth Klarman's Margin of Safety. I know online this has, you know, been sold for 2000 bucks. Um, you know, reach out to me. I might have a copy of it. I can I can get over to you. That's a, that's another good book. But the Buffett one is the most important thing. The, the third one is probably the most impactful thing that I ever did in my career. And that is to read 100% of every single letter to shareholders that Warren Buffett has ever written. You can just go to BerkshireHathaway.com. Every single letter to shareholder he's ever written is on that website and that will give you more education, more understanding of business investment than anything you'll ever do in your career and 99.9% .9 of managers never do it. Uh, that's number one. Number two, you can even go back to the letters when he was a hedge fund manager. You'll have to dig a little bit to find them. If you have a problem, uh, reach out to me and maybe I can help out with that. Um, and then the last thing, and this is something that no one will do, but this is very valuable and I posted a picture of Warren Buffett with his beat up value line 
binders behind him in his office a couple weeks ago um, that we saw on Twitter. What I would suggest, I think you can get it at most public libraries or you can subscribe. Go to valueline.com. They have tear sheets of every company that they cover. It's about 2,000 companies, predominantly US-based companies. And they do a one-page tear sheet that has all the financials for the last decade, decade and a half. It has you know five or six paragraphs about what's happening most recently. Has a little overview of the company, the balance sheet, the income statement. But in one page, you can get a snapshot of a company in five minutes, you can study it and you can start to get a feel for gross margins of different businesses, uh, you know, uh, uh, growth of intrinsic value over time, et cetera, based on the industry. And they also have sector overviews. So my suggestion would be to study five companies a day from value line. Uh, you know, within a year, you'll, you'll be well ahead and you'll just have a really good understanding. You know, the one thing Buffett said, he can do a deal in five minutes, but the reason he can do a deal in five minutes is because what he knows and has experienced over you know, multiple decades. So it's the same thing with building that core understanding. Learn all the companies, learn all the sectors, see how they operate, and things trigger other things in your thinking process. So it's like a domino effect. I strongly urge that you can probably get, get each edition for free at your public library. I think some public libraries will give it to you for free online, or you can just get the subscription, which is a modest amount of money. Uh, but I strongly urge uh, you to do that, Jared, and anyone else listening that wants to know. So the four points are every Buffett letter, the Intelligent Investor book. If you want to go crazy, you could do security analysis by Ben Graham as well. Seth Klarman, Margin of Safety, if you can get a copy of it. And go through five companies a day on Value Line. Over the next year, you'll know more than 90% of managers in the business. And then from there, you can see if you love the business or not. You know, the, the key litmus test for whether you think you want to be in the hedge fund business or money management business just because you want to make a lot of money or because you love it and you eat, sleep and breathe it kind of like I do. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, this week and people are like, oh, you're working so hard. You know, I, I don't really. Yeah, it's hard work, but I don't really feel like I ever work a minute doing this. I, I absolutely love it. So if you read that book and that's the way you feel, then you've got the right industry and you can't make any mistakes. And you have my cell phone now. You can always reach out, Jared, and I'm happy to guide you along the way. Um, but uh, that is, I hope, helpful. So uh, that is the Ask Me Anything for this week. Now, last week, I talked about an article I was in with Devin Pendleton and Jack Pitcher, where I was pitted against Bernie Sanders saying that I'm not sure that we should allow billionaires to make money. Uh, and then I said, you know, when you look at Musk and Bezos, it's easy to understand that in their own ways they've changed the world. But I also said that laid out the context of what I discussed with Devin, and she obviously couldn't fit it in the article because she's limited on space. <laughs> but I said, don't worry about the context was Bezos and Musk's net worth hit 100 billion and 200 billion each. And what I said to Devin was, don't worry about how much money they made, okay? It's equivalent to the value that the market perceives that they, they have created in the present. But the market will take care of that analysis and estimation. So either the market will get tired of paying so much for future earnings or the competition will enter and erode their business, or you'll have exogenous factors like antitrust. 
and the point that I made to Devin when we spoke on the phone, and she was lovely, was that no one cared when Amazon stock fell over 90% in the early 2000s and he lost 90, 95% of his net worth. Um, but the underlying fundamentals of the business were still performing. So uh, again, just as it overappraised him initially in 2000, it underappraised him, the market did, underappraised the value of his, his enterprise in 2001, 2002. And you know, some would say recently $200 billion is too much. Well, he just got a reappraisal this week. And uh, you know, this is a week ago I was saying that, and sure enough, Bezos, Musk, and Zuckerberg lost a collective $25 billion in net worth after the tech stock fall uh, yesterday. So will this persist or not? It's immaterial. The, the bottom line is we know that success attracts competition. And what, what are we seeing? Um, we're seeing, um, uh, when I was talking with Rochelle in China, we were talking, uh, not with Rochelle, with uh, BBC, we were talking about Alibaba and how Allian is growing like three times faster than its domestic counterparts in the cloud business. So eventually margins will be eroded. If that doesn't work, uh, certainly with Elon Musk, I mean, there's a SPAC every single day. I mean, there's a SPAC by uh, the former Speaker of the House. Like the guy, you know, great, good for him. Oh, and then uh, uh, the former Chief of Staff has a, is starting a hedge fund for banks. Like these guys have never like, done anything in finance or business, everyone's got a SPAC. So, you know, there's like 30 electric car vehicles. All we need to see next, and please don't do it, Larry Kudlow, do not leave the administration to go start an electric vehicle SPAC. We, we've got enough. So they're coming for Elon's net worth, but uh, no one can really match uh, what, what he's done. Uh, but the market has reappraised him. So he took a hit, Zuckerberg took a hit, Gates took a little hit. <laughs> and that's why Bernie Sanders, God bless him, he doesn't have to stay up all night and worry about whether or not he should allow billionaires to make money. The market will, the market will worry about that. And if, and if the market decides, like they did in 2001, that uh, they're overpaying for, for the future value of Bezos' enterprise, they'll mark it down 90%. I don't, I don't think that's gonna happen, but I'm just saying that they have to face this competition every single day. And then, what happens is uh, when that doesn't work, um, you get situations like, uh, here we go, Justice Department could launch antitrust suit against Google as early as this month, reports say. So, you know, you have problems like that. Microsoft went through it for 10 years and they got hammered, and, but their underlying business kept growing. They missed mobile because they were distracted with it. So these things happen and the market takes care of it. So not to worry, and we saw that you know, a week after, you know, I'm getting pretty lucky with the timing of some of this stuff, you know, four interviews on how Apple was overvalued Monday and Tuesday, it drops 20%. And then uh, uh, not not to worry about uh, Bezos and Musk's uh, net worth, because the market will take care of it a week later, uh, boom. So but you know, this is not uh, brilliant insight, you know, anyone that's been around for more than five minutes, uh, could could make the same assertions. And, uh, you know, understand that these things come in waves and the value that they've created is substantial and uh, it'll vacillate based on market appraisal. So thanks for that. Um, Want to cover a, cover a couple random items before we get into the article of the week. Uh, hedge funds unloaded tech and healthcare stocks. Here's what they bought instead. So it's starting to sniff out the, the um, 
recovery and the reopening trade that I talked about on Fox Business today. Um, uh, billionaire Dan Loeb bets on COVID vaccine arriving this year. Here's what it means for your equity portfolios. Now, uh, this is very interesting. This article came out today, actually. Uh, we've spent a significant time with scientific experts. This is a letter that he wrote to his shareholders. Now, Dan Loeb, he's done 20, 30% for a couple decades. He's a solid, steady, built a huge business uh, hedge fund guy. And he said, we've spent a significant time with scientific ex experts to better understand evolving treatments and vaccines and have confidence that several will be effective and available later this year. Our equity portfolios balance between companies that are doing well now, i.e. tech and growth, um, and you've seen the reports in recent, and later stage recovery names in aerospace, entertainment, retail, which are still trading near their March lows and should benefit when there's a move back to these sectors. So we're just seeing more and more uh, things pointing to uh, this cyclical rotation. We saw it in the Bank of America Global Fund Manager survey last week. Managers were saying they're moving into value, they're moving into emerging markets, banks, um, uh, small caps, etc., and they're starting to get ahead of this. And today is where, you know, it, it only takes a sneeze, one guy trips up, and then, you know, and then the whole rotation starts to happen. So I think this is going to be in fits and starts over the coming weeks. I, I think tech probably has a a bit more to work out over the next few weeks. And um, it was nice to see banks finally get getting bid the last four days. Um, and uh, and it's really a sign that, that uh, the best is yet to come moving forward economically speaking. Um, this was high frequency data from JP Morgan. Uh, losing the extra $600 unemployment benefit may not have stopped Americans from spending money, JP Morgan credit card data show. This was really positive to see because when the $600 expired uh, in August, credit card data continued to increase. Eventually, uh, President Trump did the executive order when um, Congress was withholding money from the people who needed, needed it the most. And uh, so he's got that 300 out. And that's, by the way, the exact inflection point when he turned in the polls. Like he was losing big and now he's running neck and neck with Biden. And it, you could just trace it right back to that day. He checkmated by caring more about getting the money to the people than the politics of it. And that was a huge deal. And um, uh, it, it's really changed the election dynamic. A lot can happen between now and November, but you can just look at that date on the inflection point. Executive order, boom. And uh, Congress handed it to him. I mean, they, you know, had they passed it, they would have been the heroes. So... Um, now they're not, and they got to go home and face their constituencies. So uh, good luck with that. Next, um, mortgage demand from home buyers is now at 28% higher than last year. So look, I mean, this stuff just keeps coming. Uh, Fauci was out this week saying that, uh, oh, wait, was it Fauci? CDC tells officials to be ready for a vaccine by November. Uh, that's, you know, that's why you're now, that's why this is becoming real. I've, I've talked about it for weeks. The vaccine is going to be the catalyst. Don't bet against science. Don't bet against science. It's here. AMC says 70% of its U.S. circuit to open by Friday, September 4th. This is huge. People are putting on masks and getting back to their lives. Carnival Corp. Uh, Costa Cruises brand to restart their operations this weekend. They're going on cruises. Okay. Um, what else is happening? Uh, Apple lost $180 billion in market value on Thursday. It's the biggest loss for any company ever. Now, this is kind of interesting because last week we went on this huge 
rampage about um, Apple, the most loved versus the most hated stock in the S&P 500. And we said, uh, okay, because Apple is an established company, it trades on earnings power. The average current PE multiple on earnings since 2004 has been 16 times earnings. If you apply the average multiple to 2020 earnings, you get a price of $207.52, which uh, now it's the four for one split, so it would be you know $50 and change. If you apply the average multiple to 2021 forward earnings, you get a price of 248. So that you know you're looking at uh, 60 and change, and it traded as as high as 515 a few weeks ago. So call it 120, 130 and change, um, implying a 39 times earnings multiple on 2020 earnings or 38.18 multiple on 2020 earnings. 2021 earnings. This compares to an S&P trading at 21 times 2021 earnings. Now, here was the key point that I made on the four interviews and in the letter last week that you guys heard. Over the past 10 years, the highest multiple A Apple has ever traded at prior to now was 24.62 on current year EPS. We're at a multiple that's 61% higher than it has ever been. It was at 39.7 when we were doing this last Friday and on Monday and Tuesday interviews, and um, which, which would make sense if the earnings growth rate was gonna be faster than it's ever been. But with a $2 trillion market cap, the law of large numbers makes that improbable. If you compare that to the lowest multiple uh, Apple's ever traded at in the last uh, 10 years, 9.25 times current year, that would put its current price at 119.97. That's pre-split, so that would take it down to, uh, you know, divide by 430, 30 bucks or something like that. A far cry from uh, whatever it hit, $130, let's see, $134.67. So um, that, was, that was pretty timely. And so what I was basically saying last week was since neither of these, uh, okay, we talked about Wells Fargo, um, but, 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 but. So with Wells Fargo, we said over time, a reversion to the mean, the middle range of multiples is realistic. That would imply 1.25 times book for Wells Fargo or a $48 stock. It would also imply 16 times current year EPS for Apple, uh, which would imply a $248 stock. So divide by four, $60 in change stock. Uh, we're still over 100. I don't think it's gonna revert that aggressively in the short term, but you know, that was the math behind it. It's a spectacular company, but it's the math doesn't support further multiple expansion in the intermediate term. Uh, that was the case and that played out. And we also saw banks getting bid this week. Now, after the bell, uh, we saw that Warren Buffett dumped Wells Fargo. Um, you know, I, all I can say is, you know, at this stage, number one, Todd and Ted are running a lot of the book. I mean, Warren hasn't done a lot of international investments. He did the five Japanese trading companies. That's new. Uh, you know, these guys did restoration hardware. They did Amazon, which was down big this week. They did Apple, which obviously was down big this week. So look, nothing's perfect. They're, they're investing over the long, long term, and they felt they could get better returns in the long, long term by cashing out of Wells Fargo, or they needed the money during the downturn when they didn't know what their insurance exposure was, was going to be. Look, I would rather Warren Buffett was a buyer of uh, Wells Fargo if I knew it was Warren Buffett, not his lieutenants, because they have a different skill set and a different style. Um, 
But the bottom line is his insurance business generates so much float, they could just stick it in an S&P 500 and they'd, they'd be, you know, <laughs> crushing it. So, um, so that's where that's at and very positive developments on both fronts there. Let's move on to, ah, we actually got an upgrade today from Dick Bovey. Dick Bovey is a, a analyst who's been around for decades, a bank analyst. And his thesis was a, a very um, smaller version of what we've been talking about in recent weeks. He upgraded to a buy from hold, pointing out that for all the bank's travails, still the largest private housing lender in the midst of a U.S. housing boom. Hello. Uh, <laughs> that's not going to stop anytime soon. Just uh, open your newspaper and see the bidding wars. It has a new management. It has tens of millions of customers. It has trillions of dollars. It's going to succeed Bovrights, uh, Bovey. This stock does not recognize this. It should be bought. Wells Fargo is trading at a 62.6% of book value. We've been talking about that 38% discount to book for weeks. And in the past 30 years, quote, the stock only sold below this level in 2009 and 1992, which if you followed us, we've been saying that for the last month. Uh, still, maybe he reads it. Maybe he listens to the video. Hi, Dick. Uh, anyway, uh, still, the company remains a formidable presence with $159 billion in common equity, the fourth largest amount in the banking industry, $1.4 trillion in deposits uh, with $412 billion of that non-interest bearing and $935.2 billion in loans outstanding. Uh, so that was really good because sentiment is finally shifting. Uh, the market's starting to get it. And the government needs to wake up. This recovery is going great. You did unbelievable things. Lift the asset cap on Wells Fargo. If any administration people are listening, banks are, and I covered this on Larry tonight on the radio show, Larry Menti's radio show, um, where he was guest hosting. Lift the cap. It's a new management. There are no people left that were involved in the aggressive sales practices, which, by the way, I think if Buffett's involved in this sale decision and it's not his lieutenants, I think it's a legacy thing because he almost destroyed Solomon in the early 90s almost destroyed his lifelong reputation like that was the big taint on his whole career. And now as he's in his you know uh, later years. He doesn't want to have any taint and he doesn't deserve any taint because he's one of the greatest investors of all time. So he's probably dumped out of that so he can just say, you know, I wasn't unsure about their past practices. I didn't want to be involved. And I completely understand that. I mean, at, at his you know, reputation is extremely important and legacy and all of that stuff. And I think that might have a lot to do with it in this case. Um, but all of that stuff is in the rearview mirror. No one that was involved in the sales practices and upper management is still in the business. CEO's out, CFO's out, uh, COO's out, everyone's out. Charlie Sharp is is turning the business around. They're doing technology and they're going to just ride this millennial housing boom for the next decade. And it's going to be un, it's going to be phenomenal in my view. Um, so that's that. And the market started to get it this week as well. We had a huge inflection. This is Wells Fargo to Apple, most hated stock in the uh, S&P 500 to the most loved stock. Complete turnaround, overnight turnaround in this ratio chart. Same with the bank index to the tech index. It just completely, it's like, you know, the ink wasn't even dry on these interviews and it's just taken off. And this was overdue. And look, maybe it'll be fits and starts and half of the people listening are saying, it's another fake out, you sucker, watch out. And maybe they're right, but uh, I think we're getting too close to the vaccine and I think it's gonna be a game changer. 
And I think these valuations that we've laid out both on the low side and the high side, tail of two markets has been our theme the last few weeks, uh, need to be taken seriously. And now it seems they are. The other thing that was critical, and I covered with Larry, and I covered, I think, with Cheryl uh, and one other, was the what was interesting about the sell-off the last couple of days is that people usually plow into treasuries. But what happened instead was yields actually increased on the 10-year today, even during the worst part of the day. So the yield curve steepened, which helps the banks, which just tells me this is a reopening trade. And, you know, there's some leverage and some people getting caught off sides and some, you know, margined up retail people, etc., that uh, are just getting a little bit shellacked here because they got they had all their money in a few growth stocks or SaaS stocks or Zoom or uh, um, uh, um, Zoom or uh, Tesla or or one of those and they just got smoked. So that happens. It happens all the time. Here's the uh, yield curve steepening thing that we've talked about for the last few weeks. Green is the XLF financial ETF. You can see that um, it peaks when the yield curve is flat, it's, it's come all the way down, and then it bottoms after the rise. And then um, once, once you see that yield curve steepening, then financials take off, yield curve steepens, financials take off. And then here we bottomed, yield curve steepened, financials are starting to take off. So that's even gotten better this week, despite the sell-off. You would think there would just be too much money to go back in treasuries. This would flatten again. It was not the case. That's good news. Uh, this was the Apple sell-off after the Monday interview and the Friday podcast. Um, this is the article of the week. Okay, so <coughs> the Run DMC it's tricky stock market and sentiment results. I actually loved this song. When I was growing up, I spent 90% of my days on rollerblades playing hockey when I wasn't on the ice. And I had a friend down the street named Brian. And we would uh, actually sit in front of, for those of you in your 40s, you'd sit in front of MTV and wait for your favorite video to come on. You didn't go to YouTube and just find it. So this was our favorite song. It's Tricky by Run DMC and uh, certainly catchy, but I never really understood the story behind it until this week when I started researching for the article. And the lyrics themselves are self-explanatory. It's tricky, it's tricky, 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 ha. And I'm doing that in the context of embodying the current status and sentiment of the stock market. But it's the story that fit the bill. That was the magic thing. Now, this was written on Wednesday night before the market rolled over. And if you remember on Thursday morning, futures were up before the open. This goes out at 7 a.m. And um, right after I get the sentiment results. And so the music video features, this is Penn and Teller. They are legendary music uh, uh, magic duo from Las Vegas. They've had a show for decades. And what they were doing in the video was hustling a group of people in a game of three card Monty in front of the Rialto Theater in downtown Los Angeles. Um, now, basically they wind up taking this lady's necklace because they say, oh, you can win your money back. Just put down your gold necklace and they scam her with the three card Monty and she loses her necklace. So she calls her friends, run DMC. They fly in on their helicopter and they basically hustle the hustlers and they just start winning all the hands. And that's, that's the video. Now, my sense was, and this is funny because it was like the day Tesla was peaking, I said, 
My sense is that Tesla is selling $5 billion of stock to the public after a parabolic move up, closing, closing, trading close to 12 times sales, maybe a little bit like Penn & Teller taking money from the untrained spectators in front of the theater. I'm a fan of Elon Musk. He's changing the world in numerous ways and he's not to blame for the valuation, but this feels a little bit excessive. Uh, and sure enough, it rolled over the next day. So, you know, it's not just Tesla and, and Tesla may keep growing and et cetera. They're, I don't, you know, I think their business will keep growing. I don't know if their valuation will or it won't. It doesn't matter, but it's just overheated for now. And the market has finally reappraised it in the short term and we'll see what happens over the intermediate term but brilliant guy brilliant business he's going to keep succeeding in everything he does it's just a question of how much it's going to be valued and bernie doesn't have to sleep you know lose sleep all overnight deciding how much he thinks it should be valued the market will decide and that will be fair enough so um the inmates are running <laughs> so the inmates are running the asylum <laughs> I, I did this with larry as well and um so while Tesla was overdone in the short term, the leader of the pack is Zoom. So <laughs> Zoom has certainly changed the world. It, it came in handy during this crisis. It's going to now it's, you know, become a thing. It's like the Kleenex of video conferencing. Uh, my my guess is you could get a team of developers in Asia to put this thing together, like the same technology for probably about 50,000 bucks to 100,000. Uh, you know, and people are gonna say, "Yo, you're crazy." Okay, so what if it's a billion? The company's now built, valued, or was valued before um, when this article was written at 126 billion dollar market cap. This is a video app. We've had a video app called Skype. We've had a video app that's free called uh, Google Hangouts, uh, Google Meets. There, there's a lot of different ways to do this. So it's traded after earnings, and they, look. They grew revenues, revenues are up 9X in the last eight quarters. So they went from 75 million to 664 million. That's a good thing. The issue I had is that it's trading at 63 times sales, which so you have to live another 63 years to benefit from what you're paying for now, and 287 times 2021 earnings. So what you're basically saying here is um, we have a monopolistic moat that no one else can replicate and it's going to continue to grow at this pace in perpetuity forever in which case the it would be bigger than the gdp of the world uh unlikely and i think the market figured that out in the last 48 hours so um i'm surprised they didn't do a secondary offering with with uh tesla so that's that um and i wish them continued success i use zoom i think they're going to continue to succeed i think that the market will just put a different valuation on it which will be fine and they'll continue to grow and they'll continue to provide a tremendous service and that's the same for all of elon musk companies as well which are changing the world so uh, it's not in any way a commentary on the business it's a commentary on the short-term valuation got a little out of hand you leave a bunch of 25 year olds with stimulus checks and Robinhood accounts things get a little crazy it's it's just the way it is and that's how we all learn by the way you know we we, we all start doing that and that's a good thing it's not a bad thing so um okay so that's the uh inmates running the asylum uh on the brad smith thing we covered uh on the brad smith interview we covered the tale of two markets theme which we've gone through you can review the last two weeks notes but i'll just go into the lionel richie note from two weeks ago uh when people were saying the market's toppy i said okay do these sectors look toppy for instance uh this was banks at the time okay do those look toppy no 
How about energy? Does that look toppy? No. De how about defense and aerospace? Does that look toppy? No. Uh, casinos and airlines? Does that look toppy? No. And guess which stocks were up this week when tech stocks were down? All of these casinos, airlines, defense and aerospace, energy, and uh, banks held all held up the best. And all of these, where I, I put together a basket of semiconductor, tech, and internet stocks that did look toppy, they all got shellacked. So this is the note from two weeks ago. You can review that. That's what I covered with Brad. He also asked me some stuff about the vaccines, about um, whether people will take it, about the election, which we've covered, uh, what it would mean to have a blue sweep, which is no longer does, no longer appears to be in the cards. Three weeks ago, it looked like a possibility. Now it really looks like uh, uh, we will have gridlock, and gridlock's really good, um, and meaning that we will have uh, at least one house controlled by an opposing party, which is of paramount importance because that means they can't get the corporate tax increase through. <clears throat> We've gone through the implication of the corporate tax increase from 21 to 28%. David Costin's done the math from Goldman Sachs. You'd lose $20 of earnings from the S&P 500. You get a lowered multiple. You probably get a 20 to 25% correction re-rating of the stock market if that corporate tax went through. What do you need to block it? You just need one party of the opposite color and it looks for sure we're gonna get it. So um, four weeks ago, it looked like blue, 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 executive Senate house. Now it looks closer to like, it could be, you know, red, red, blue. It could be red, blue, blue. It could be blue, red, blue, but it's not gonna be blue, blue, blue. I mean, it, anything can happen in two months, but it'll be gridlock irrespective of who's president. That's a good thing. Corporate tax rate rates the same, bullish for the stock market. Ideology and all that other stuff, Leave that aside. This is a stock market podcast. I'm just telling you what impacts the stock market. Not, you know, make your own bets on what's important about social and other issues. Um, speaking of which, uh, I was on One America News Network with Greta Wall. We covered uh, why the tech stocks were doing well and what would cause a rotation. And you know, literally a day later, that happened. We also went into the valuation of Apple. Um, and effectively, why tech stocks were doing well is because in low growth environments, there are very few places that you can get growth. Uh, low economic growth, a very few places you can buy growth, that's tech. Now that we're doing the reopening trade and we're reopening the country and we're close to a vaccine, that's why you're seeing all these cyclicals start to step up because they're gonna grow really fast in the early part of the cycle like happens coming out of every single recession when Economic growth is abundant. M2 money supplies increased 25%. We're going to get six, six and a half percent GDP growth next year. We haven't seen that in decades. That's when cyclicals fly, banks, defense, industrials, etc. And what does that mean? It means supply and demand. There was a dearth of growth. That's why people were paying 287 times earnings for Zoom. Now there's going to be a plethora of growth. Uh, banks are going to start growing, industrials, defense stocks. Uh, all the laggards that have been left behind, airlines will eventually come back, cruise lines will eventually come back, um, which Cheryl wanted to talk about today. Uh, we did talk about airlines today on Fox Business. So, um, so that means that growth stocks will now be competing for dollars, whereas as recently as a week ago, there was no competition. There was a handful of real growth and all the money went there and now that's re-rating and changing. Now, um, in the Juanita, we're at Maja interview, Aline's interview on CNBC Indonesia. This was a half hour. 
I strongly recommend because I really go into the nuances that we're not going to have the time to do this week of um, every aspect. So which parts are undervalued and overvalued? Is there a disconnect between the stock market and the economy? Uh, most loved versus most hated. You got that in last week's uh, podcast video cast. Is rotation coming out? What will it look like? It came this week. It started this week. Um, outlook on emerging markets in Indonesia with the weakened dollar and the demand for commodities. Positive is the Cliff's Notes version. Uh, China, China stimulus data and recovery update. I covered a lot of the data points from Rochelle's interview in this one. Um, Buffett's bet on uh, Japanese trading stocks and what that says about his commodity outlook, etc. Shinto and its its um, potential power shift between China and Japan as as a lead exporter. That was a real interesting nuance that you may want to catch. Um, she also asked about September seasonality. Uh, historically, it's bad in election years. It tends to be flat to slightly up. So we'll see if that holds true. The, uh, we went into a lot about the election and what Wall Street would like to see. Gridlock is good, etc. We just we just covered that. We went into the gold example. Um, a lot of interest in gold because of it, inflation expectations. Uh, basically, I just laid out what Buffett did in his 2018, I think his letter, and that was that if he invested $10,000 in gold in 1942 or $10,000 in an S&P index fund in 1942, by 2018, the gold would be worth $51 million. The, I'm sorry, excuse me, the stocks index would be worth $51 million. The gold would be worth $400,000. So if you used gold as a hedge against inflation versus stocks, it would have cost you over $50 million to make that decision. Could gold double or triple from here? Yes, but over the long term, stocks are going to outperform because companies have pricing power. Certainly when we're dealing with the top 500 companies in the world, in something like the S&P 500, they have pricing power, they have moats, and they will uh, outperform as, as an inflation hedge over time. So uh, that was the message there. Nothing wrong with gold if you like it. People are using it as a proxy instead of uh, treasuries because they think all the yields sucked out and they're not going to work the same. There was an article this week that Bridgewater is now using gold and other and tips instead of treasuries in their um, um, in their uh, risk parity fund. Um, so you know that's you know one group's point of view. Next. Uh, if you want to get a sense of what's happening with China, you know, their, their seats in the air are getting close up to uh, pre-pandemic levels in terms of domestic airline flights. Um, uh, their manufacturing is galloping. The stimulus that they've done with the, uh, they did $500 billion of stimulus, but they're doing a ton on rail, railway power lines and EV charging stations. Um, I think that's really valuable. I'm, I'm sad that we didn't use some of this money in investments that would get a long-term return. It was kind of a political mess and also urgent to get the money out. Hopefully in future, if there is a future package, they try to get some of this long-term investment that will benefit generations to come like what, what they did in China. Um, and the other thing that I think may, may be... Um, starting to weigh on semiconductors, you know, China has a made in China program where their goal is to have 40% of their semiconductors made domestically by the end of this year and 70% by 2025. 
So, um, you know, we may see a shift in weighting of sectors moving forward. Uh, and we're going to talk about that as far as earnings outlook in just a minute. So, uh, you know, in last week's note, one of the key points I made is that most people would say, Wells Fargo will outperform Apple on a relative basis when pigs fly. Well, they were flying this whole week, uh, I think both uh, yesterday and today, and hopefully this, this trend persists. Uh, so I tweeted uh, a pig flying with, you know, Wells Fargo outperforming by six points at that screenshot today. I think it was as much as 11 percentage differential in one day, uh, in midday. So, you know, one a uh, few days don't don't make a trend, but I think I think we're getting close enough here that uh, people are waking up. The other thing that was interesting this week was the AAII sentiment is still bearish. I mean, not bearish, but like neutral. Thirty point eight. It went down from last week, so there's not euphoria among individual investors. Maybe they had it right in the short term. Uh, fear and greed is was close to extreme. It didn't get quite get to eighty. And the active managers were at 105. That is an extreme. It doesn't necessarily mean that you get a crash, but certainly we got to let up here. Um, and my message was basically, I don't think you're going to win, quote, calling the market in coming months. I think the opportunities in finding long-term value and pouncing while at the same time peeling off the runners that made you big gains in recent months. So hopefully you guys uh, uh, were able to do that in recent uh, days and weeks because that was our similar message to last week. And I closed out, it's not binary, it's tricky like the Run DMC song. See how that works together? Okay. Um, so this is one thing I wanted to cover. Um, in addition to the thesis being aligned with cyclical starting to outperform, earnings estimates are aligned with cyclicals out, outperforming. This is from FactSet today. This is the expected calendar year 2021 earnings growth by sector and you see the leaders our energy actually has i couldn't figure out why energy didn't have any numbers for the last few weeks it's because they have no earnings like recently you know they, they were negative earnings so you can't really have a percentage gain on negative so uh but energy is going to have the highest percentage earnings growth followed by industrials consumer discretionary financials and materials those are all going to have higher earnings growth than the s p 500 which is going to grow 26.3%. Infotech is going to grow half at half the pace as the S&P 500. So if it's going to have half the earnings growth of the S&P 500, why was it getting as much as double the multiple in recent weeks in certain pockets? And, uh, and now you know that it was because of, you know, uh, you know, speculation and euphoria in those pockets. Uh, but it doesn't, tied to earnings growth that is expected because they've pulled a lot of that growth forward. You know, all the kids who bought, you know, MacBooks and iPads for homeschooling, et cetera, and all the, the computers and widgets and everything else, um, they're not going to be repeated to the same extent next year. <coughs> Semiconductors that go in all that stuff uh, as well. So that's the story. Earnings are still going up every week, which is pretty good. I think they're at $166. Last year we did 163. So uh, anyway, I don't have that. Earnings growth will be 26%, uh, which is fantastic. And lastly, just a couple economic data points. Um, we had uh, just knocked the cover off the ball 
on the jobs report today, 8.4% unemployment. If you remember, a couple months ago, I said we can get to high single digits by the end of the year. Well, we got to, you know, mid-ish high single digits already, which is just amazing. 8.4% unemployment rate. We've regained half the jobs lost through the pandemic, 1.37 million uh, non-farm payrolls increase. Average hourly earnings are going up 4.7% year on year. This is because the government programs are rolling off. Employers need employees. They have to pay up. They're competing with some of the government programs that are still paying a lot. Average hourly, uh, weekly hours are up to 34.6. Everything is healthy about this report. It's a great thing. See a little wage inflation. It helps everyone. I think that's going to continue to increase. I think wages at the low end were really starting to increase in this administration. Pre-COVID, they're going to increase more because we're starting to grow. So, uh, and we'll have six, six and a half percent growth next year. It'll be amazing. Um, Okay. Just got to keep that corporate tax rate where it is. You know, regardless, we just need one of the three boxes to be a different color and we'll be good to go. Um, So initial jobless claims came down, continuing claims dropped to 13.2. That was good news. Um, Another huge draw in crude, 9 million barrels. It's it's crushing it. Again, this is just, you're going to wake up. This is going to be another abrupt move. You're going to wake up at some point in the next 18 months and WTI is going to be at $60 and oil companies are going to be double from where they are, but no one believes that. So just quietly pay attention. Start with the highest quality. Like I said on the show with Cheryl about airlines, got to start on the highest quality. Now when things are risky, as we get the vaccine, as we get things, you can move into some of the lower quality laggards. Um, and again, this is all opinion. You know, I don't know what your situation is. Read the terms on hedgefundtips.com. Uh, ISM manufacturing crushed it, not only in expansion, uh, the ISM manufacturing PNI, but it beat expectations of 54.5. It came in at 56. I was up from 54.2. Again, you, all you need to do is look at the Citibank Economic Surprise Index, which measures the percentage of economic data that's beating consensus estimates. It's at all-time record highs, and it keeps staying up there week after week after week. So good things are happening. Um, you know, it's been a, been a slog through the last few months for many people. And, and, uh, uh, but, uh, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We're starting to see it. We will have the vaccine. Treatments are getting better. People are getting on with their lives, wearing their masks, and you're just seeing it in the economic data. So, uh, with that said, to leave it on a good note, thanks for listening in. If you have some time, I'd highly recommend some of those interviews were very granular and nuanced. Uh, you could basically make another half hour and, and, uh, go into some of the detail on that. But until next week, we'll be back same time, same place. Hope you found that helpful. Have a great long weekend. Enjoy, relax, and take care.